What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision podcast, the ultimate sports history pod brought to you by Sideline Sports. I'm your host, Khaled Abdallah, and I'm joined by my co-host, Salman Huck, and a special guest, Brian Peacock from the Lockdown 49ers podcast. Um, so Brian is a full-time podcaster and broadcaster. He's the host of the Lockdown 49ers podcast and the Peacock and Williamson Daily NFL podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. So Brian joined us to talk about uh, his beloved 49ers, the NFL as a whole, some big what-ifs when it comes to both the 49ers and the NFL. Did a lot of Trey Lance talk and, of course, some food talk to wrap things up. So you can find Brian on Twitter at BD Peacock, and you can find his uh, podcast on all the major podcasting networks. So it was a great conversation. It was a lot of fun. And we recorded this on October 25th. So just after the 49ers uh, dropped a big one to the Kansas City Chiefs. So let's uh, jump right into that conversation with Brian. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for joining us today on the 4040 Vision podcast. How are you doing today, man? Doing fantastic. Yeah. Uh, pumped for another crazy week of NFL football. I was just talking on the Lockdown 49ers podcast about how uh, if you think you know what's going on in the NFL, wait a week because you're going to be very surprised. Yeah, exactly. I had that that same thought a lot last night, especially watching the Bears uh, and the Patriots. And then, of course, a couple other big surprises we had this weekend. Uh, so today we want to talk, of course, about the Niners, the NFL. Uh, but we also want to talk about you. And, you know, how did you how did your love for sports start? Was it from your dad, your family members? And how did you become such a big 49ers fan? Yeah, I grew up in the town of Visalia, California, Central California, and um, it's really split between sort of L.A., San Francisco sports. Uh, my wife actually is a Dodgers fan, and, uh, and she grew up there as well. Uh, I'm a Giants fan. My family's been, you know, San Francisco fans. So for me, it's San Francisco Giants and, and 49ers, and it was growing up. Um, and I don't know, I just I just fell in love with sports when I was younger, loved playing sports, started playing, you know, soccer and then Little League Baseball and and every sport you could imagine some football and basketball. And it was just, um, you know, from the start. And I think part of it too, being a kid and like the first teams I can remember were those late eighties, you know, San Francisco giants in 89, go to the world series. The 49ers are the best team ever going back to back Super Bowls in 88 and 89 and Jerry Rice and Joe Montana and Ronnie Lott. And, um, you know, Roger Craig, how could you not fall in love with those football teams? Like those are the teams that my family was rooting for. We're watching those games. It was like, oh, this is awesome because my teams are in the Super Bowl and in the World Series every year, right? And then you kind of go and find out it's not always going to be that way. But those were very easy teams to fall in love with in 1989. Yeah, I can imagine that's a pretty great time to be uh, not just a Bay Area sports fan, but specifically a, a San Francisco sports fan. You got spoiled early on, just like these Patriots fans and stuff like that, all these young yeah. kids. It's funny. The uh, Patriots fans are all like, oh, Bailey Zappi is probably going to be amazing because we've seen it before, <laughs> right? Like a sixth round pick becomes the best quarterback of all time. Bailey Zappi, fifth rounder is probably going to become that amazing. And then uh, you might be a little skewed and you realize, oh, yeah, you know what? That's only happened one time ever and will probably never happen again. So Bailey Zappi, sorry, Patriots fans. He's not going to be the next Tom Brady. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so how did this love for sports translate into you know, your career as a broadcaster and a podcaster. 
So my career in sports media was sort of a backdoor thing. It wasn't a, a planned career path for me at all. You know, like like a lot of people grew up that love sports. You know, you watch ESPN and you're like, hey, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna be on ESPN someday or something. You know, that'd be fun to be an anchor because they're having fun. They were cool and hip. You know, in the '90s or whatever. Um, but for me, the it was the audio side first because I was a musician as well. Played a lot of bands. Uh, when I was younger. And um, I really, I, I ended up going to broadcasting school, San Francisco State, uh, shout out to the Becca program. Um, and originally, I just wanted to record music. That was what I wanted to do. So I was, you know, taking the audio path. And then, you know, dabbled around in the, in the college radio realm. And that was fun. Then ended up getting uh, a, a job. My first job out of college was in radio at KNBR. K Fog, The Bone in San Francisco, they're Cumulus. They're all part of the same company. I was kind of on the FM side at first for the first year. Then I was like, well, I'm on KBR. This is awesome. I want to go work at KBR. So I kind of started working at KBR behind the glass and, and pushing buttons and then producing and doing those types of things. And then uh, eventually uh, I realized that the path to, if I wanted to be an on air person, the path to do it wasn't there. The path was I had to it's funny, I had to leave KBR to get on the air at KBR. And now I'm like a weekly guest there. I'm on on the air a lot with them as a guest. And and uh, I don't know if I would ever gotten there if I would have just stayed because there was no path really for for growth into that sort of a role there. And so what I ended up doing is, you know, I was like kind of bartending at the same time and and doing other things. And then I started working at a place called Total Traffic Network, uh, reporting on traffic and doing sports and, and traffic and news type updates. And then uh, this, you know, the podcasting thing continued to grow. And I remember when I was in college and I was doing, a, we were podcasting our, our, our Carl, a Carl radio program. We had a sport, I did a sports show. I did a sort of a rock and roll music show as well. And, and we would podcast and it was on a format called Podomatic. And, you know, even the, our professors, our instructors, they didn't know what podcasting was. We actually did a presentation about what podcasting was because our professor saw us doing podcasting. He was like, can you tell the class what this thing even is? You know, so I've been doing it for a long time um, and never thought in a million years that podcasting would be something that would be a main gig. But when I was at Total Traffic um, and, you know, reporting on traffic and doing all that stuff and, you know, kind of I called it being a traffic monkey because you're, you're on five different stages, st stations with five different aliases. You know, my middle name's Dean. So I'd be Brian Peacock on this station. I'd be Brian Dean over here. Then I uh, actually shout out to uh, both San Francisco Giants manager and uh, San Francisco 49ers running back Roger Craig. One of my aliases on the air was Craig Rogers. So if you ever heard someone <laughs> named Craig Rogers telling you the traffic in the San Francisco Bay Area, that was me too. Um, so I would have three or four different aliases doing all these different stations and all these different markets um, at the same time. And I was doing a, a podcast on the side called Gold Faithfuls, a 49ers pod with my guy, Nick Winkler, who jumps on Locked On 49ers with me weekly. And then the Locked On Podcast Network thing popped up. And I saw this and I was like, ah, oh, daily podcast? I want to do a podcast every day, but maybe get a little, maybe there's some money in it. Let's see where this goes. And, and I reached out to David Locke um, and there was an opening for the 49ers show. He listened to Gold Faithful. He liked it. And we talked a little bit and uh, I ended up getting the, the Locked On 49ers gig. I think my first paycheck for Locked On 49ers was $12 or something like that. <laughs> Uh, but it was more than Not I made my other podcasts because those were just for fun. And you're doing it once a week, you know, mm -hmm. and this was, I was doing it every day and it was a little daunting at first. It was like, man, a daily podcast. And it was, I started in January. I started basically the same day that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch were hired. That was right when I started doing Lockdown 49ers. So it was the beginning of the off season. It was January 
like, I'm going to do a daily podcast in the off season. Like I'm into the draft. I geek out on the draft. So that's kind of fun. But man, June, I'm going to do a daily podcast every day is what you're Yeah, it gets, it gets here. slow. June, July. And, yeah. <laughs> but man, the, the NFL, like I just said, man, the NFL is so fun. The storylines never stop. It's been even more that way the last couple of years with the way the 49ers have gone and, and throughout the off season. So we just kind of been plugging along and it's been amazing to see the growth. And eventually my podcast became my main gig and it was like man I'm, i gotta go all in on this and get another daily podcast and i do the peacock and williamson nfl show daily talk about our leagues i do two daily podcasts now and that's my main gig and now i've got other side gigs so it's pretty amazing to see how the podcast thing went from being hobby to side gig to main gig and where we're at now with podcasts which is pretty much the only mm. media that's growing at this point yeah that that's incredible you're like a podcasting og i remember back in the day we had to download podcasts onto an iPod from uh, iTunes. That's the name, yeah. right? Yeah, you have to download everything and then you had it there. While you exactly, were exactly. On my little iPod, uh, not an iPod Touch, the one before that, whatever it might have been. So Amazing. Yeah. yeah, no, that's awesome, Brian. I remember when I discovered you on the Locked On Network. I, I didn't even know what the Locked On Network was at that time. And I started listening to you and the Locked On 49ers. I was like, man, this is great. Every day I get to hear about the Niners, you know, makes my daily commute really good um so let's talk niners with you brian what uh tell us what's your favorite 49er uh moment in the last 20 years as a fan what was your favorite moment 20 years okay so we're we're not able to go back to the super bowl it's been a long time man since the yeah first it's been a long time i remember like dynastic days i remember dynasty 49ers and and, and it's it's amazing how long that's been since the 49ers were that and there were some really down years i there's I think the the moment, the single moment that I got most just physically excited about, it wasn't the most important moment at all for the 49ers. But do you remember the Garrison Hurst run against the Jets? Yes. I think it was 1998, week one, game winning touchdown yes. run. That was like the one where you get up off the couch. I ran out the front door and like yelled and scared my neighbors. That was like the moment I can remember being the most excited about just one big play. That play, I don't know why. And there's been so much you know, there's been Super Bowls, there's been playoff games and, and that was week one, but that play just got me so jacked up. So I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go a little, uh, a little off the radar with that one and, and see if any fans out there remember that Garrison Hirsch one. No, that's, that was a great play. I remember that it was, you're just like week one, you bust out a 98 yard run. You're like, Oh my God. And like, it, it was just an electric play. So that's a, that's a good one, Brian. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit more on the current Niners. What do you, what do you think about the Niners in terms of, you know, what do they need to improve on to get to the Super Bowl? Like I what I know there's been a lot of issues with the team this year, but what do you, what is your, what are your thoughts in terms of what needs to be done to make a Super Bowl run here? Uh they got to clean things up. That's number 1. You aren't going to be one of the best teams in the NFL. I mean, as witnessed by the Bill Walsh 49ers and later by the Bill Belichick uh, New England Patriots. You don't win Super Bowls when you are one of the most penalized teams in the NFL, when you're one of the most injured teams in the NFL, when you uh, lead the the league in drop percentage, you know, so, um, you know, and everyone wants to, when things go bad, everyone wants to point to the coach and quarterback and, and it's true with the 49ers, you know, and especially with the way things have gone and people picking sides with Trey versus Jimmy, you know, anytime the 49ers are bad, they're going to point the first finger at Jimmy Garoppolo, then they're going to say Kyle Shanahan's bad. Now, Kyle, now a lot of people want Kyle Shanahan fired and, and Kyle Shanahan's um, probably his, 
his QM rating right now is 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 the lowest it's been in, in the six years since he's been head coach of the 49ers after a big loss like that. Um, but Kyle Shanahan's plays will look a lot better. Jimmy Garoppolo's throws will be look look a lot better. If the guys on the other end catch it, you know, if um if guys stay home on the defensive line during misdirection and don't let Nicole Hardman look like Debo Samuel all of a sudden. You know? <laughs> so I would say the it's very much the little things first that the 49ers have to worry about more so than who they're trading for. Um, and if, obviously you got to get your guys healthy and back on the field. Bosa, especially Trent Williams and, and Mooney Ward last week were not 100%. I don't know if they even should have been on the field necessarily. Were they that still hurt? And you're trying to get your horses back on the field, but those guys um, need to be fully healthy and on the field to make the impact that they can make. And and I think the talent stuff is is totally fine. I think Jimmy, we've seen that he can win. Um, and I thought a couple of weeks ago he played actually really good and he was let down by some drops. So um, I think the first thing is, and you're not, there's not going to be another quarterback coming in. So you got to win with Jimmy if you, if you want to win. Right. And there's, they're not going to file fire Kyle Shanahan. And if they did, what, like, what would that even do? Right. Who, how are you going to get better? Uh, especially now during mid season with that. So Kyle Shanahan's play calls will look better, but this it's also on coaching. You know, it's not just play calling for Kyle. It's, you know, you got to coach up those players with the, uh, with drops and, and, technique and in um and your assignments and penalties like those that that is still on kyle because it's a coaching point but it's not so much about the plays that kyle's is calling and it's not so much about just the quarterback jimmy garoppolo i think kyle and jimmy uh, are the scapegoats and and do deserve some blame for some of the losses this season for the 49ers but i think there's a lot else that needs to go better and they got to go back to the drawing board with the little things and not shoot themselves in the foot so that that talent can play out on the field. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I don't see the Niners firing Kyle Shanahan unless, you know, something goes horribly wrong, but we'll, we'll stay positive. We'll say, you know, what if he wins the, uh, the lotto next week or something decides to, to hang it up and go hang out on the beach somewhere. So if, if the Kyle Shanahan era was to end after this year, after you said specifically the six years, what, what do you think is the legacy? of the Kyle Shanahan era? Oh man, that's a tough one. I would say, I would say maybe unfairly he would get lumped into the Norv Turner sort of category of good offensive coordinator play caller. But once he was the head guy, he didn't have something that it took to be that dude. And I think that would be unfair because I think Kyle Shanahan is is a pretty good head coach. And I think a lot of it is maybe Kyle Shanahan's own fault that he doesn't have somebody else do some things for him. You know what I mean? And I think we're starting to see it with losing so many assistant coaches too. And, and just, I'm sure his work week is just different now because it used to be a certain way and he knew exactly how it was going to go with Mike McDaniel and Mike McDaniel was a smart guy and he's doing a good job with Miami Dolphins. I don't think it's so much that, oh, it was, he was the real genius behind it and he was drawing up the plays and Kyle was just calling him. I think it's more like, man, he was breaking down film this way during the week and this is how they had it structured and he was with him for 14 years and he made things so easy on him and they knew the structure of things, but it's got a new quarterbacks coach, new tight ends coach, new uh, special teams coordinator, uh, new wide receivers coach. I don't know if I said that already. And there's just so much changeover with the coaching staff. So I'm sure just week to week, everything's different for Kyle Shanahan. And they're still trying to figure out some of that stuff too. So um, I would say it's little things that really is key. And Kyle Shanahan 
maybe could be helped with more of an administrative person that helps him, you know, and maybe take a step away from the draft a little bit more. Well, the scouting department knows what they're doing. They're plucking these starters out of the fifth round, you know, let them, you know, don't, don't get too silly about making John Lynch go trade up for your dudes anymore. Like, <laughs> let them do their job. You do your job, take it off your plate too. make things easier on you. And I think Kyle can then focus more on the play calling and, and I think everyone will get better. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the prices of success is the the brain drain that happens for your top assistants, your top guys. And we've seen you mentioned Mike McDaniel, um, Robert Sala is another one that that's you know shown to be a more than competent head coach. So it's hard to replace these guys for sure. No doubt. And I do want to say uh, with Kyle Shanahan too, um, it's <laughs> he's 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 a pretty interesting guy, and he. Um, I think he real I think he's sort of slow sometimes to realize what changes he needs to make but he ends up making them. Last year the 49ers were even in a worse spot than they are right now. They were 3 and 5. They're only 3 and 4 right now. Uh and they went to the NFC Championship game and all of a sudden in the back half of the year they were humming. So uh, you know, it kind of takes some time and I think he'll tinker and they'll figure some things out and you know Christian McCaffrey with Devo getting that thing going. Um maybe they can't key as much on one side until have, you know, Maybe that'll open up half of the field because they're really keen on Debo Samuel right now. When Christian McCaffrey's in there, maybe they can't do that. So that makes Debo better and it opens things up for McCaffrey because they can't really key on one guy or the other in that short passing game. And that's where I do think Christian McCaffrey is going to make the difference for the 49ers is in the short passing game, getting those, converting those third downs because he's a good running back. But the 49ers are going to be fine with Elijah Mitchell running the football when he comes back. And with, I mean, we just saw that, uh, that the Jeff Wilson outcarried Christian McCaffrey last week anyway, you know, yards per carry. It's like the running, the running game is not what's going to you know do it for the 49ers. It's what McCaffrey gives you in the passing game. Does that open things up? And then, then we see, you know, like post by, we see the 49ers go on this crazy run. That's absolutely something that could happen this year. Absolutely. Uh, Brian, let's talk a little bit on the draft. You mentioned that um, and Shannon stepping away, but I know you're big on, you do the shadow 49ers. You, you know, try to draft in real time. Let's, uh, in the last, you know, 10 years, if there was one first round pick you could change for the Niners, which one would you change? Well, the AJ Jenkins in 2012 is the one, and that was sort of the catalyst to me, you know, cause I was like, ah, people are calling Trent bulky, the draft ninja that might be oversold a little bit. And then that, that 2012 draft was like, Oh, this is silly. I think I could draft as good as Trent bulky and I'm actually going to do it. And I'm going to draft along. Cause there's a lot of hindsight with the draft. And that's what I don't like about it. Drafting is hard. Like my shadow 49ers. Yeah. The, I, the 49ers have crushed me in rounds five through seven. Like 49ers have done really good in the in the late rounds. It's the early rounds and some of the easier picks. I'm like, what are you guys doing? You're, why are you drafting third round dudes in the in the first round? You know what's going on right now? Um, and so drafting is hard and it's difficult and teams miss a lot and good teams that draft really well miss a lot. So you have to remember that. And there's so much hindsight. Oh, this guy got drafted right after this guy. How didn't you take him? Um, and I think what ends up happening is when you start drafting for need and you force yourself into some picks, it gets even worse because then you're like, oh man, there's this really star player that was just better and he didn't fit your need, but needs change so fast in the NFL. You were going to need him next year anyway, once the, and they're, you know, most guys don't do much as, as rookies in the first place. Um, but yeah, the AJ Jenkins draft, that was the one where I was like, all right, I can draft better than Trent Paul. And it turns yeah. out it <laughs> and wh- why do you think Shanahan misses so much on his his guys? Like he he hypes up these guys and says these are my guys. But what what do you think is the factor that he's missing out on that these guys don't turn out so successful? I don't know. Uh, that's that's so hard because he obviously knows what he wants and he he knows football. 
and he's gotten some right. You know, they nailed the Debo pick. Yep. They, uh, I mean, Bosa was kind of like that. That one's hard to because that was you could only mess that pick up because everyone in the, like I think thirty two teams would have taken Bosa right there. Yeah, the that's Cardinals, a no brainer. Including the yeah. Cardinals if they didn't have the first pick and Kyler Murray's already gone. Um, and you know they 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 nailed Fred Warner. The picks they've really hit on are guys that are that are wired a certain way. And the picks they've missed on were the picks where Kyle just saw a trait and was like, fell in love with it. You know, Joe Williams and Dante Pettis. And, you know, I, I think that's sort of, he gets a, he gets sort of a um, sort of, I guess because the, the draft, and this is what happens when I do the shadow draft too, is, is I get in a lot of arguments with 49ers fans because after, and it's just, you know, this is nothing against anybody. This is the way fans are. As soon as the draft ends, you think you drafted seven to hold. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's the way fans feel. I'm like, ah, I didn't really like this pick. I'm like, oh, I think they know a little bit better than you do about this. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. But not all these guys are going to be great. Right. And so I, it's not a one person draft and it's like, okay, maybe if you didn't trade up, you didn't get, Dante Pettis maybe he does get taken by another team but that's okay because there's still Michael Gallup and DJ Chark and there's other players like you don't have to have this laser focus and have these blinders on it's like I only see one prospect we have to go get this one prospect and we have to trade up for him and it's like rely on your scouting staff to be like no there's these other guys here are the grades for a reason these guys have the same grade if he's gone maybe we miss out on him but we've got this other guy too and so I think that's where the 49ers have gone wrong. And I think it's a good relationship between Shanahan and Lynch because Lynch will go get the guys for Kyle. Whereas other GMs are like, okay, we'll take, thank you, coach. We'll take that into advisement. Now I'm going to go draft the guys I'm going to draft. But Kyle's the head of the pyramid, right? So Kyle, so Kyle's like, I really like this guy. I'm not going to be able to go to sleep if we don't draft Joe Williams. Joe Williams wasn't even on the 49ers draft board. And then John Lynch calls him. What's that going to do? Of course, you know, I don't know how many job interview, interviews you guys have been on where you lie through your teeth, you do whatever you can to try to act plenty. You're dressed up. You're like, <laughs> hey, I'm gonna be the best employee you ever had, you know? And so they end up drafting the fourth round, never played a snap for the fourth round. You know, they were right. The scouting staff had it right. He shouldn't have been on the draft board. Uh, and so Kyle gets sort of blinders when it comes to some prospects. And I think that's probably what's led to it is not only that they weren't worthy of where they were drafted, but it was like the only player on the board that they had to go get. Yeah, I think Bill Parcells used to say, if you're going to ask me to make dinner, you better let me buy the groceries. But a lot of coaches can't really handle that responsibility. It's a lot of work to be a head coach as it is. And then you're going to add, you know, draft prospects yeah. and scouts and all, scouting and all that stuff. It, it's a lot, it's a lot of, a lot on your plate. Yeah. Um, and then you're relying on, cause like that's what, that was really the greatness of Bill Walsh because he was so good at both and he knew how he was going to use a player. He knew what he was looking for. And he saw stuff in players that other people didn't see. And I, I think some the 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 idea that everybody in the building is amazing at evaluating is probably not correct, right? And so if your scouting staff's doing a really good job, you should be able to ask coaches what they see and have them look at some guys. But just because Chris Kasurik's like, I love Javon Kinlaw, it's like that doesn't mean you have to draft it because your D line coach loves him, right? Or because you're, you know, this coach loves him. And like Bobby Turner, the running backs coach, he doesn't get to pick first rounders, but he plucks undrafted free agents and six rounders like crazy. Right. So maybe that's the guy you should lean on more than some other coaches, but I don't know. You have so many voices and I think that's, what's tough is um, there's too many voices and yeah, Parcells, I love that quote. And then some coaches are just really bad and screw things up from scouting staffs and some scouting staffs are bad. Maybe the coaches should be 
uh, picking the players. So, and it's just difficult anyway. A guy can get hurt and break his leg. He would have been a Hall of Famer. You never hear from him again. Or maybe he's, his head's just not screwed on straight. Or maybe you got a terrible coaching staff and you ruin a guy. And so there's so many different pitfalls for a draft prospect. So if you're hitting 50%, you're doing pretty darn good. Yeah. And you talked about getting laser focused on a prospect and trading up for them. So, of course, the, the most high profile trade recently was the Trey Lance. Uh, decision, you know, trading up and giving up a lot of picks to pick him. So obviously we haven't seen much of him, probably a total of, I don't know, a game and a half, two games worth of snaps in his career. But how confident are you on a scale of like one to 10 of Trey Lance as the future quarterback or the franchise quarterback for the Niners? I know it's hard to say, but <laughs> I mean, it's so hard because there's so little to go on. And Trey Lance was one of the most unique prospects really in my lifetime and in modern draft history because nobody has ever been drafted that has only played one year of college football and that year wasn't even the year before the draft it was the year before that right it's never happened not a seventh rounder not a first rounder and definitely not someone you spent three first rounders to go drafted number three overall so very unique but you see what they loved in him. He's got size. He's got a great arm. He's athletic. He's really smart. It seems like he's wired the right way. So for all those reasons, especially the neck up reasons, you'd really want to bet that he's going to be good. But has it? Has he already been through it? Has it been too long? Like he's, we're talking three years of football that he's missed out. The other guys have, um, like uh, the, the the craziest stat to me was Tom Brady. Like so, these are the players that I mean, Tom Brady's obviously you know the greatest quarterback of all time. But these are that's one of the 32 quarterbacks in the league. That's one of the people you're going to be competing against if you're Trey Lance and you're the 49ers. Those are the quarterbacks that exist. Uh, last season, Tom Brady led the league in pass attempts. He threw the ball 715 times or something crazy. He, he threw the ball a lot. That's more pass attempts than Trey Lance has had in his life. High school plus college plus NFL. Wow. <laughs> and so he's behind one year of Tom Brady plus 20 more years of Tom Brady. That's how far behind Trey Lance is against his competition. So it's so hard. And we've even seen this week with Justin Fields. Everyone's calling him Bustin Fields. You know, he's looked bad, can't get the ball out in timing. But then you see that one throw. It's like, that's a special throw. That's a special run. He's got the talent. That's clear. And then he comes out, new game plan, and looks a lot better against Bill Belichick, you know, the defensive genius couldn't, couldn't stop the bears offense. And so there it, it's, it takes some time. We've seen it with Jalen hurts. We've seen it with Josh Allen. If you have the physical talent and you're built right upstairs, I, I you got to want to bet on Trey Lance. And that's what the 49ers were betting on. If they made a mistake in the draft, it wasn't that who they decided to take at number three. It was that they traded it up. And that was the bad process is it was unnecessary to go up that high. And again, this is the argument I get into with fans when I say that it was not, it was unnecessary to, to trade when they did. First of all, they hadn't finished their evaluations and you, you should probably finish your evaluations and be really, 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 really sold on the guy and know exactly who it's going to be when you trade up rather than, ah, we want the opportunity to draft one of these three guys that maybe we'll like, maybe we won't even end up liking them when we're done with our evaluations. You know what I mean? Um, and so this is like, it's not a one player draft thing. And that's the argument I get into. People are like, well, Trey Lance wouldn't have made it to 12 if they didn't trade up. And my response to that is like, okay, so what? Like, I like Trey Lance. I think he's good, but that doesn't mean that's a good process to go up and get that player because you still could have got Mac Jones. And if you're, and I, yeah. I don't think they should have drafted Mac Jones and they definitely, and now we know it was like, you're going to trade up number three for Mac Jones. Hell no. You know, that's not happening. So it's gotta be Justin Fields or Trey Lance. You gotta at least have that upside in that number. Yeah. Three. 
if the question um, is, you know, <laughs> Trey Lance or Mac Jones plus three first round picks or Justin Fields plus three first round picks, it becomes there's different calculus involved. There. Right. Absolutely. And that's exactly it. And for, and they miscalculated thinking that none of those guys were going to get there. And who knows, maybe Trey Lance still gets to 12 because of the reasons the Parcells thing, going back to Parcells, his commandments for drafting a quarterback. Trey Lance hit, I think, one of seven or something like that. Because the Parcells commandments are you want a quarterback to have gone through stuff, be more ready when he's there. It's uh, you know, a certain amount of wins in college, a certain amount of years in college, uh, you know, all these a certain amount of you know hit uh, you know, uh completion percentage, uh all these other things. I think completion percentage might be the only one that Trey Lance hit of those things because um he only played that that one year. And that's why a lot of teams still subscribe to that same thought process. So I'm sure a lot of teams love Trey Lance. I'm sure some teams didn't have him on their draft board as a, as a first round prospect because of that, uh, because he's so unique as a prospect. So there's a lot of work he's got to do. He needs so many reps and now he's missed out a whole season of reps. So even if he does achieve that, it might be an Alex Smith situation where we don't see it until year eight, you know, uh, unfortunately that's, that's one of the outcomes, but I would bet on the young man because of his talent and, and because it really seems like everything's not too big for him, which is usually the first pitfall for an NFL quarterback. They just can't handle the pressure. By the yeah. way, that would, it, I know you guys wanted to talk today about um, what ifs, and I didn't put together a top five what ifs in the NFL, but one of the big ones is that not trading up. And do you guys remember who went number 12? Micah Parsons. Yeah, it got traded yeah. a couple times. Ended up with Dallas and Micah Parsons, who right now is the best player from that draft class. And the 49ers were sitting there where that guy got taken. So we're talking about what ifs and hindsight stuff. And I'm, I was, and I think a lot of people were evaluating um, Micah Parsons as an off-ball linebacker. So he probably wouldn't have been my selection there. But when you evaluate Micah Parsons as an edge guy, I mean, imagine Micah Parsons on the opposite side of Nick Bosa. So we're talking what ifs. If the 49ers didn't trade up and we're all in with Jimmy instead of, you know, it, uh, the pick probably would have, uh, the pick would have been Mac Jones, I'm sure, for the 49ers if they didn't trade up. Um, and they stayed at 12. But man, if you look at what Micah Parsons would be on the 49ers defense, he might be defensive player of the year this year. And then the 29th pick this year that the 49ers had, it got traded again multiple times to uh, Miami, traded for Tyreek Hill. So how about matching Jimmy with Tyreek Hill on offense? And you got Micah Parsons on defense, and you still have another first-round pick next year if you were going all in with Jimmy G, which the 49ers ended up playing Jimmy, playing with Jimmy G now. So that's a big what-if right there. It wouldn't have gone that way, I think, if the 49ers were in charge. Uh, the pick ended up after uh, after Kansas City got the pick. They traded it to they traded up with uh, New England, and New England took Cole Strange. Cole Strange would be a nice fit on the 49ers offensive line too, center, guard. So, um, yeah, so th that's a big what-if right there, and who knows what the first-round pick would be this next coming year for the 49ers so uh that's what you're that's the potential you're giving up when you're making a move like that is that um you better be right and so we'll see how it's up looking for the 49ers with Trey Lance yeah I agree with you there Brian I I didn't understand why they traded up so far up to get Trey Lance you know especially when the evaluations were not done so definitely yeah. even just like the simple sorry to interrupt you but just like no, the simplest like if you just like look at it logically okay you're at pick 12 uh, there's five quarterbacks you think are probably worthy of taking. It's like, okay, how about, how about wait until pick five? Yeah. I mean, is that insane to be like, well, 
and and they would have you know, and clearly we know now that at least two of them and probably all three quarterbacks would have still been there. So now you're saving one full first round pick to move up to pick five or six. And and by the way, the the Eagles did swap from six to twelve. So you know you could have got up to six even if you did it that day. Um, and I'm sure the Dolphins at that point wouldn't have been like no because right. you have that in your back pocket knowing hey we're willing to spend all this. And the Dolphins aren't going to say no on draft day to that trade to that same trade they took. So. The, the timing of it was really weird with that trade up. And maybe the evaluations, they finish and like, man, we got to get Trey Lance. Then on draft day, you're saying, hey, Dolphins, here's all picks. And the Dolphins are like, hell yes, we'll take that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Showed their hand a little early there. Yeah. Uh, I know you've been a big Richie James fan when he was on the Niners, Brian. What, <laughs> which uh, 49er excites you on the current roster? Yeah, Richie James, the first ever 49er that I had on Locked On 49ers. Yes, I remember that. Undrafted free agent. Um, who excites me right now? Uh, I like, I want to make a big shout out to Aaron Banks who changed his body is a completely different player than I saw on tape in college. And even last year, and even in camp, he was getting beat a lot. And I did not believe in him at all, even starting this year, but he's played really well for the 49ers offensive line. So uh, I love those stories. And I love that he, and again, like, you know, what makes the real difference in the NFL is how you're built from the neck up and, and he put in the work clearly to become a different player than he was. And um, I thought that was going to be a bad draft pick. And, and I didn't think that was going to turn out as good as it's turned out so far this year. And so we'll see what Aaron Banks looks like throughout his career. So I love those sort of stories. Uh, Talano Hufanga too. With so those were my two things coming into the year. I was like, are you guys sure at guard and at, at strong safety? We're going to roll with those guys and, and we're going to be cool there, huh? And they have been. And, and Hufanga is so fun to watch. And so I love those stories and, and prove me wrong, prove a lot of people wrong. So. Uh, I'd probably start there with some of those guys. Um, one of my favorites on the team, I'm sad he's gone now, was Raheem Mostert. Yeah, I loved yeah. his attitude. I, I loved hearing the hearing him post game and you know the whole surf thing. And he just was kind of like, I, I like when players surprise you a little bit. I think that's one of the things I like about Hufanga. He's not just like your standard dude who's like acts the same, talks the same, has the same answers all the time. I like the guys that surprise me a little bit. And I think uh, Raheem Mostert was kind of like that. And I think Hufanga's like that now the 49ers yeah yeah Aaron Banks was surprisingly you know he surprised people I didn't think he'd be playing as well as he's been playing so that's a good pick and Ufanga is just just a dynamic guy so great picks there Brian uh let's talk outside the Niners Brian uh what what teams do you like in the NFL uh what teams kind of excite you to watch like you're like oh man I gotta watch these guys and you know Super Bowl thoughts for you I think uh, oh you know what I want to add one more real quick to your last question yeah Uh, I, I have become so much a bigger fan of both Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance just because of the unfair insanity that some fans put on them and that the organization really helped heap onto them because they created this weird situation with sort of a quarterback controversy the last two years. And everyone's picking aside Jimmy or Trey, which I think is totally unfair. And, you know, so half of the fans have, have been trashing one guy or the other. And it's made me really root for both of them. So I want to throw both the quarterbacks in there and how they both handled it as pros and, and sort of rise above it. I think it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. They've both definitely been big time pros about it. And, you know, surprisingly Lance has handled it well and Jimmy's handled it pretty well too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then what was the other question? Uh, yeah. So tell, talk to us about teams that, you know, you're excited to watch besides the Niners and any Super Bowl uh, predictions you want to give us. Yeah, uh, I'm really interested in in the Bears team because I liked Justin Fields so much coming out, and and he was my shadow guy for the number three pick just because I thought there was a tick more in his downfield accuracy 
and uh, took more athleticism and just like the high upside of what Justin Fields was. And we've seen some of that hero ball in the NFL not work out. But then when you see it start to get a little bit better, you get excited. Maybe he has that year three that hurts or Josh Allen has. And, and that's what you're hoping for with Trey Lance as well. And uh, and again, people who piled on him and you're a bust and then see him having that really nice week last week. Uh, the, the Bears are an interesting team just because they you you watch how they're built. And it's like, okay, you didn't draft an offensive lineman or uh, – a wide receiver, you know, George Pickens is out there for you and you go Jaquan Brisker, you go defensive players, but their defense played really good and helped them win that game. Their running game's helping them win. And so they're like, okay, let's see, let's, let's see this continue. And so they're a really interesting team from a team building perspective to see if they can come through it. And are they the next Buffalo bills or are they the next, what the bears have been for the last 30 years, <laughs> drafting another quarterback and have new coaches in another couple of years. Uh, so that's a fun one. Um, and I'd say some ex 49ers coaches. I think the Jets and the Dolphins are probably two of the most fun and interesting teams in the NFL right now and seeing the way that they are um, are growing and developing and so much talent on that Jets team. And now it's time for them to start winning some games and they're starting to do a little bit. But you saw them trade for James Robinson because they don't want their young quarterback to go have to win games. And so they don't want to put too much on them. So that was, uh, I think, one of the big keys for them making sure that they still had a running game after Brees Hall got hurt and the Dolphins and McDaniel and watching uh, Tua, who I've called in the past left-handed Jimmy Garoppolo, (laughs) elevate now under McDaniels and those weapons. And I think we're starting to see it's so important to have really good receiving weapons for your quarterbacks, right? We're just seeing that around the league. And, you know, with Tua and uh, with with Waddle and Tyreek, Tua's just taken off. So that's a really fun team right now. Yeah. And uh, what about Super Bowl, Brian? Who, who Who are you predicting midway through here? Uh, it's, I mean, I think the, I got to go Bills, Eagles, the, the Bills and the Chiefs, especially seeing how the Chiefs went through the 49ers this week, the, the Bills, Eagles and Chiefs just look like they're on a different tier than everybody else. And in the AFC, I'd almost be shocked if it's not either the Bills or the Chiefs that make it. And I hope that's the AFC championship game because that'd be a whole heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, that would be a, definitely a fun AFC championship. But the game. Niners are right there for that four seed. And even though they're three and four right now, if they fit, fix up those those details we talked about earlier in the pod, like the 49ers should be that team that's right there and absolutely knock off the Eagles. Uh, but the Eagles are just playing so well right now. Yeah. The Eagles, the Eagles look like a juggernaut right now. So we'll have to clean up some stuff to get there. Uh, Brian, tell, uh, give us some draft prospects to watch in for the 2023 draft. What, who, who are some guys you're looking at? That is a better question for my co-host, Eric Crocker, who yes. locked on NFL Draft Show, because this is how it's been for me, especially the last couple of years since uh, my well, four years now since my son was born, because um, I really geek out on the draft. But I don't like Saturdays is my day off. It's the only day I don't do any podcasts and I cannot watch college football all day on Saturdays. My my wife would kill me and I want to spend <laughs> my son and get outside of the house a little bit more. So uh, this is my new the new way I do it is this. The season is the season in college. I see some games um, and really around bowl season, I really start paying attention, uh, looking at the good teams more and then um, wait for those fine folks that put all the time in to make cut ups of all the prospects. And then January off season is really when I can watch uh, a bunch of cut ups during the week and not, you know, just watch college football on Saturdays and really watch more and more prospects and really pack them all into a small amount of time. And then I do a lot of work on the draft prospects. So right now I don't have a really good feel at all about the draft or some prospects. I will say that the quarterback class, everyone keeps talking about next year's quarterbacks class really good. Might be slightly overrated. And 
we're seeing like the struggles of the 2021 class that was generational, right? And so it's like I would caution people to slow down when they're so eager to crown the next quarterback classes as amazing. And I thought Justin Fields is a better prospect than C.J. Stroud was at at, uh, at Ohio State, and people are ready to throw C.J. Stroud number one overall. And it's like Ohio State at some point, people are going to just stop drafting their quarterback that's going to be the talking point probably for Stroud. like well he went to Ohio State and those guys all end up sucking because they got too much talent and the competition isn't good enough like the SEC against them or something but um uh yeah Will Anderson <laughs> he's the guy the, the pass rusher for the for the uh he might go one, number one overall he yeah. might go number one if depending <laughs> on who uh yeah and I don't know if this quarterback class is going to end up being all that and, and who ends up going number one there and who has the pick but um, yeah, still have a ton of work to do in the off season. So that's a January through April project for the NFL draft. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, we'll uh, circle back with you on that one then. Yeah, and, and you mentioned so I know we do, we do talk a lot about what ifs on this podcast and the sports history pod. So you mentioned the Trey Lance trade and that being one of the what ifs. Is there one other we can say maybe one 49ers what if and one overall NFL what if that really sticks out in your mind? I would say um, with the 49ers, what ifs, aside from that 2021 draft, which is the biggest one we've seen with the 49ers is, and by the way, Christian McCaffrey too, imagine like all those draft picks, how that would look different. I wonder who the 49ers would take. And it's kind of unfair to follow what the picks end up being because the 49ers would have made different picks than the teams that end up with those draft picks. But uh, that's a lot of capital, three first, second, third, fourth, fifth. That's a that's a whole team. That's a that's a foundation for a team that the 49ers are, are betting on two players. So you know that's that's definitely something to follow in, in future what ifs. Um, but I would say I would go all the way back to Bill Walsh. Let's go back to those dynasty 49ers and Bill Walsh. I love it. I love it. Early, right? Like Bill Walsh retired after only 10 years. He was on top. What would that have looked like with Bill Walsh if he continued to be the coach of the team? Would they have beaten those? Um, Cowboys teams in the 90s and those Packers teams in the 90s. 49ers uh, have more rings than any team in the NFL. You know, would they would they have had that sixth? Would they've gotten a seventh? Would they've got an eighth? You know what I mean? Like how how much of a difference would Bill Walsh have made? And and they were really good with Seifert immediately, but that sort of you know, I think it looked different than what it would have looked with Bill Walsh. So I think the number one is is Bill Walsh stepping away a little bit early. And how's it? Here's another what if for you uh, with Bill Walsh. And this is sort of NFL related and 49ers related because Bill Walsh, remember, he came back and he was like GM of the 49ers for a while. And the Niners earned, was it the second or third pick in the draft in 2000, I want to say? And they ended up trading back. And that was the year that Washington took um, LeVar Arrington and Chris Samuel. I think Courtney Brown might have gone number one to Cleveland that year. So I think 49ers traded the third pick back. They ended up drafting, everyone thought they were going to take Chad Pennington. I, me included, they ended up drafting um, Julian Peterson, Ahmed Plummer, Jason Webster. It was a good draft. They drafted some good players that year after trading back. It was a classic Walsh, like we're trading back, we're collecting picks, and we're going to build this new team that is you know, kind of falling apart. But Bill Walsh, according to reports, really, really loved Drew Brees and loved him as wow. so that he would have drafted him number three overall, but Drew Brees didn't come out early from Purdue, went back to school, came back the next year instead. So what if Drew Brees would have entered the draft early? 49ers would have drafted Drew Brees in, at number three overall, and what would that 49ers team look like the past two decades with Drew Brees at quarterback? Never would have drafted Alex Smith. So, yeah, 
He would have he would have been a quarterback of a bad football team around him. So who knows that Drew Brees would have become <laughs> yeah. Drew Brees. And it took him his second team to become Drew Brees. Yeah, he was he was decent in San Diego. But this is the type of stuff that we absolutely love to just nerd out on. Um, I think when we recorded our 49ers, what if we went back to uh, the OJ trade as being one of the big what ifs for the team. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. You, you mentioned Bill Walsh and retiring early or, or you know hanging him up early. There's a lot of coaches that did that back then. I think it was maybe a harder job. They weren't traveling private and staying in nice hotels. We had like John Madden step down, Jimmy Johnson, I think Dick Vermeil, a lot of guys who would just get burnt out. So yes, yeah, maybe yeah, there's a theme there. Like with uh, Patrick Willis, right? And then Barry Sanders and some of these players, Calvin Johnson. Uh, is it better for their legacy that they did quit early, quit on top? Because I don't want to see like old Barry Sanders that can't pull off a spin move anymore. You know, like remember Jerry Rice on the Seahawks? Like we didn't need to see that. And the Broncos. And, the, and I definitely <laughs> wouldn't have wanted Jerry to retire at 30, but he could have retired at 40. He didn't have to hang on to 42. Like he had his cornrows, his receding hairline were like started <laughs> in the back of his head. Like, you know, the Raiders, Seahawks, Jerry, I don't think we need to see too much of that. I mean, as as a Raiders fan, I loved having him on the Raiders, and he was still great. He had a couple thousand yard seasons, I think, at like 39, 40 years old. So he's just like uh, he's the Kareem Abdul Jabbar of the NFL. He's just timeless, ageless wonder. Um, all right, so before we go, let's switch gears for one second here. We like to talk about food on this podcast just as much as we like to talk about sports. So, you know, you're uh, getting ready to sit down for the game. What is your your go to meal? What are you ordering on you know Uber Eats or DoorDash or whatever it might be? Yeah, a lot of people ask me uh, it, about like wings, and it's like I when I'm especially if I'm watching the 49ers, I need to take notes. So I got to have my fingers clean. So there's no wings, uh, pizza with a fork, you know. And I love myself some pizza, but you know if I got pizza, I can I gotta be able to type, so I can't have the the, the greasy fingers. So if I'm gonna do pizza and, and football, unless I'm just you know some out somewhere watching it, then you know all bets are off. Um, so I, I'm a big stew guy personally. I, I've never met a stew. I don't like, you know, give me some gumbo. One of my favorite dishes that exists is, uh, chili verde. So give me chili verde, Mexican food. I love, uh, pozole too. Pozole verde is one of my favorite, but by the way, anybody in San Francisco, the best, my, not the best, I don't know. My favorite dish in San Francisco, it's total comfort food, Porto Alegre, Mexican restaurant on Valencia street, uh, 16th in Valencia. Uh, pozole verde it's a huge bowl of green soup chicken bacon just so much good stuff in it uh it's amazing that's that's usually my go-to if i if i'm really trying to cook up something for myself it's a big pot of stew i love it i love it one one tip you can use voice to text so if you got got sauce all over your fingers one tap on the phone (laughs) (laughs) use a little voice to text Uh, i you you know what i i need that i need that for driving i need that for um, yeah, maybe eating wings and watching football, but I'm worried that maybe, uh, you know, you get one word wrong and that, that changes the entire <laughs> analysis of a, of a game. Very, very true. Uh, so you mentioned the, the podcast that you're on. Uh, so where can folks find you on social and, and find your podcast as well? Yeah. At BD Peacock on Twitter. My Twitter was hacked actually for a while and, uh, it was tough to get that back. Shout out to my podcast listeners are the ones that ended up getting me back and not Twitter support because folks that actually worked at Twitter, listen to the podcast and, and they, they're like, this will not stand. Uh, yeah. Locked on 49ers. We're coming at you every day on the locked on podcast networks on all your podcast feeds, YouTube, um, and also the Peacock and Williamson NFL show, Matt Williamson's former NFL scout used to write for ESPN for a long time. Now he's doing stuff uh, 
on radio and Pittsburgh and uh, Steelers.com in the Pittsburgh area. And uh, we break down the entire league every day. So coming at you twice a day on the Locked On Podcast Network. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks yeah, for the thank invite. You, it was fun, fellas. Appreciate it. Once again, big shout out, big thank you to Brian Peacock, host of the Lockdown 49ers podcast and the Peacock and Williamson Daily NFL podcast. As, he, as Brian mentioned, you can find his work at BD Peacock on Twitter, and you can find both of his podcasts on all the major podcast platforms. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the 4040 Vision podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the 4040 Vision podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at 4040 Vision pod. And of course, make sure to follow, like, and subscribe to our podcast on all the major platforms, Spotify, Apple, Overcast, et cetera, et cetera. Thanks again for your time, y'all. Peace out.